begin by praying. Father, we thank you uh, for your word and we ask, Lord, that in your mercy that you would enable us to hear your words and respond appropriately. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Is this really the end? This is something that I once thought when watching a movie, not once, not twice, but three times. And it's a series that I dearly love. Uh, This moment happened when I was watching the final three movies of the Star Wars sequel trilogy. Hands up if you're surprised that I'm a Star Wars nerd. Why is there only two hands? Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Uh, One thought I, I kept having as I watched these movies was, and then, yes, there were moments of delight. Yes, there were moments that drew some moments of sorrow out of me. But overall, especially as each movie ended, I kept thinking, and then? Is is this really the end? After years of coming up with a script, after two different directors, after the careful selection of actors and actresses, after spending an estimated $80 million, is this really it? Is this as good as it gets? Especially after you spend all that money, after all that time, after all that effort, and yet... After all these movies, there is still a sense of deep, deep dissatisfaction. Uh, Maybe uh, uh, if you have been reading uh, the Gospel of John in your quiet times or in times by yourself, you get to the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus. And you might think, is this it? Is this the end of Jesus? Because it seems that the religious authorities have won. They've got their man uh, with conspiratorial efficiency. They eliminated the threat that was Jesus. The people sided with the religious authorities and freed a criminal, Barabbas, in exchange for the innocent Jesus. After the crucifixion of Jesus, the disciples went into hiding Peter denied ever knowing Jesus and even one disciple ran away but naked. And at this point of the narrative, it's not looking good. It's not looking good. If you could walk in the sandals of the disciples in the first century, there would be one word to sum up the mood and that word is fear. And this scene is like the ultimate cliffhanger at the end of a series. Something remains unresolved. And you can't help but think, is that it? Is this really the end of Jesus and his disciples? Well, no. No. It is not the end because because it continues with the eyewitness account of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Because in the Bible, what we see here is that the risen Jesus is Lord over death. And you see this in uh, John chapter 20, verses 19 to 29. Sabbath has just ended. 
it was the start of a new week. But the previous week was an awful week for the disciples of Jesus. They lost the one that they had literally dropped everything for. And they lost everything, including the three years of their lives that they spent with Jesus. The disciples witnessed his arrest. They witnessed his torture. And they witnessed his march towards being crucified on on the hill of Golgotha. They witnessed his very death. They witnessed the power of the Jewish religious authorities. They witnessed the might of Roman occupation who signed off on the death of Jesus. They witnessed the fickleness of the crowds. One day, cheering him on as he rode in on a donkey into Jerusalem and then the next calling for him to be crucified while freeing a murderer instead. And so in uh, John chapter 20, verse 19, we find that the disciples are in hiding, fearing the same persecution that their Lord and Master got, fearing that, that they would get them to. And so as a result, they locked the doors and yet something that there is sorry something surprising happens to them jesus stands in their midst and says peace be with you and in verse 20 jesus shows them his hands and his and his side he shows them the physical marks of his crucifixion And I guess what Jesus is trying to do, he's trying to show that it's not just some imposter putting on on the clothing that Jesus might wear, maybe having the same hair too, and maybe a goatee like every other Western depiction of Jesus. But it's the real deal, Jesus, in the flesh. The risen Jesus is Lord over death. And then in uh, verses 24 to 29 we get the story of Thomas. And I think Thomas is, is, is familiar to uh, some of us, if not most of us here today. So Thomas uh, is not with, was not with the disciples previously when Jesus first appeared. We're not told where he was, but now he is with them in verses 24 to 29. And we have a time marker of a week later uh, and Again, the doors are locked at the same house where Jesus first uh, came into their midst. And so what we see in uh, verses 24 to 29 is that Jesus again comes in their midst, which includes Thomas this time. Now, Thomas is a realist, right? He's a realist. He lives in reality. And so when he first hears that Jesus... Uh, sorry, concerning the news of Jesus risen from the dead, that for Thomas goes against common human experience. So Thomas's cynicism about the risen Jesus is actually based on human realities surrounding death and dying. 
So Jesus, in these verses, shows himself to Thomas in a particular way and commands him, hey, touch my scars. By doing this, Jesus is saying to Thomas, it's really me. It's really me in the flesh. And in the face of this eyewitness account, Jesus then commands Thomas to stop doubting, but to trust based on the evidence set before him. And so there's only one response that is appropriate in the face of this truth. My Lord and my God. The risen Jesus is Lord over death. Because what we see here is that death is not the ultimate thing. It's not, uh, it's not like that old adage of death and taxes as being the only certainties in life. It is now that Jesus has defeated death by rising to life. He defeats the unbeatable. Now, the last time I checked, right, last time I checked, once you're dead, you're dead. Yeah? Right? Uh, right? And what I'm not talking about is medical death, right, where people are trying to resuscitate you when you flatline. That's not what I'm talking about. The type of death that is on view here is, involves organs shutting down for good. It involves rigor mortis setting in. And after three days of actual death in a tomb, wrapped in the traditional Jewish uh, custom, Jesus physically rises from the dead. Something no one else can do. But Jesus did it. The risen Jesus is Lord over death. It's only natural that we fear death. Uh, from the time we are born, we know what it means to be alive and to live in this world. But the reality of life is that it must end sometime. But with the risen, risen Jesus, he conquers death. And all who trust in him, all who call him Lord and God, like Thomas, all who follow him by denying themselves, taking up their crosses and following Jesus, they live. They live. Death is not the end if we trust in Jesus. But life is. So do we, do we fear death? Do we fear death itself? Or do we fear the one who overcomes death by rising to life? Because death is no longer powerful. But Jesus always was and always will be. And not only do we see uh, through Jesus' physical resurrection that he is Lord over death, but the risen Jesus is Lord over life. And we see this in uh, John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. So, uh, Follow along with me in your Bibles. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. 
For these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. Uh, If you read John's Gospel uh, from chapter 1 all the way through, you'll notice that there are seven particular miracles that are recorded for us in the first half of John's Gospel. And these, uh, these miracles are called signs and they point to who Jesus is and what he came to do. And so the seven signs that Jesus did include Jesus turning water into wine, Jesus healing uh, three people from disease, illness or disability, Jesus feeding 5,000 uh, from five loaves and two small fish and then there are basketfuls of food left uh, leftover food afterwards, Jesus walking on water and Jesus resuscitating Lazarus from the dead after he had been in the tomb for three days. Jesus from these signs shows that he brings life to people whether it's through sustenance of the sustenance of food or from illness disease and dis- or disability or by bringing someone back to life. Either way, Jesus is Lord over life. And in verse 30 of chapter 20 of John's Gospel, it says that these miraculous signs that you read about are the tip of the iceberg. In fact, there are a lot more that just weren't recorded the people who experienced these signs could not replicate all that Jesus did and they were amazed. And then in verse 31, Jesus gives us the reason he wrote this account of Jesus' life and ministry on earth. It's so that you have the opportunity to come and meet him through this account uh, of John's writing. It's so that when you read John's biography of Jesus, we see who he is. We see what he has done for us and that he is the long-awaited king Israel had been waiting for. John points to the fact that Jesus is the serpent crusher that humanity had been waiting for. John points to the fact that Jesus is the only one who brings eternal life and that you can have it too by trusting in him. The risen Jesus is Lord over life. If the risen Lord Jesus is Lord over life, how do you live your life? How do you live your life? Do you live your life so that you have your best life now? Or do you live for eternity? An eternal life that is guaranteed with Jesus after death. I, I think there is a, a significant temptation to live only for the here and now. I mean, maybe you've heard the resurrection of Jesus so many times that it just becomes a little bit too familiar. Maybe you go, when you hear about the resurrection of Jesus, you go, yeah, whatever. Or maybe you hear the resurrection of Jesus and you just kind of ignore it. It makes no difference. Do you live 
for eternity with Jesus? Or do you just live for the here and now? If Jesus, or the risen Jesus, is Lord over death, and if he is Lord over life, then the risen Jesus is Lord over you and me and the world. How is the risen Jesus Lord over you and the world? And I think we should go back to Thomas back in uh, John chapter 20. See, John chapter 20, verse 28 provides us with the correct response to the risen Jesus, my Lord and my God. There is personal ownership of Jesus as Lord and God from Thomas. And this uh, personal ownership that Thomas has only comes as a result of touching Jesus, of being an eyewitness to the risen Jesus. But yet we are a people who do not live in the first century, obviously, right? Obviously. We are a people who live in the 21st century with all of our technological advances, etc. We are a people who are about 2,000 years removed from the resurrection of Jesus. We do not have the privilege of being eyewitnesses to the life and ministry of Jesus and his followers let alone being an eyewitness to the risen Lord Jesus. So what do we have? What do we have? We have the written eyewitness accounts, close to the time of the life of Jesus and his ministry, with a very good record of transmission. And this was written so that you, so that you and the world would know of the King who rose from the dead, fully God, fully man. It is the king who will come as loving ruler and just judge. It is the king who declares to the world that he has taken on sin and death head on and defeated it by rising it from, by, sorry, by rising from the grave. And as a result of this victory over death, a new people are created in the pattern of creation, uh, as we see in John uh, 20, verse 22. But better, because the risen Lord Jesus is Lord over the world and his people. It is a people who, with Thomas, declare the risen Jesus as Lord and God. It is a people, as a result of Jesus being Lord and God, who live according to forgiveness, live according to justice, live according to mercy, because Jesus accomplished all those things on the cross and by rising for life. It is a people, as a result of Jesus being Lord and God, who live according to truth and not according to the lies of the devil. It is a people who live in the reality that Jesus brings and not to the ideologies that the evil one brings. The risen Jesus makes a people who live because the resurrection completes their salvation. Payment for sin is fully and truly guaranteed and accepted. 
Forgiveness is also guaranteed for all who trust in Jesus. Justification, that is being right before God and not being condemned in your sin before God is also guaranteed. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. If we trust in Jesus, we become a people who live for the future, the eternal future, the eternal future because of the resurrection. Earlier, uh, I asked if this was really the end of Jesus as he dies on the cross. But as we explored the second half of John 20 and the resurrection account of Jesus, one crucial question comes to my mind. It's not, is this the end? Rather, it's, is this really the beginning? Is this really the beginning of a new life with Jesus because he rose from the dead? Is this really the beginning of guaranteed eternal life with Jesus after we are dead? Is this really the beginning of guaranteed forgiveness of sin because Jesus rose from the dead? The answer to all those things is yes. Yes. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that's physically, then with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, our faith is useless. We are wasting our time and we should be pitied. The risen Jesus changes everything. Let me close by praying. Father, we thank you that the risen Jesus changes everything. Father, we thank you that the risen Jesus guarantees our forgiveness. Father, we thank you that the risen Jesus guarantees eternal life. Father, may we consider what is written in your word, the Bible, about the risen Jesus and may we believe and trust and live for him. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, Right now we're going to um, stand and say the Apostles' Creed together. So if we all, yeah, let's all stand. Let's all stand. We're going to, because we've been doing the series on the Apostles' Creed, um, let's uh, let's actually say the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen.